afternoon, seven investors. Uh, hoping you can see us. We are struggling with a little bit in the way of uh, technical difficulties, but this is Seven Investing Now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein, but you can call me Dan. I am joined today by Simon Erickson and Steve Symington. Guys, welcome to the show. Hello there, Dan. Hello. All right, so we're coming off Thanksgiving. You know, it, it was Thanksgiving break. We all we all had a good time here, at, except for me. But we're going to share my story last. Steve, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Oh man, we uh, we spent it with some friends in a little tiny turn right at the only light in town kind of kind of town. So that was nice. Then we went skiing the following day. So my daughter and I, and uh, what a way to spend it! It was a, a bluebird day up there. So si- Simon, Steve is winning. Uh, let's see if you can top that one. <laughs> Ours was the same story, Dan. It was turn off the paved road. We were out there in the country of Texas doing a lot of four-wheelers and fishing and country stuff. So it was a real nice break as well. So we were actually just at the house or we're in the location you can you can see behind me now. But I decided, and I'm not a giant fan of Thanksgiving, the meal. Like So Wednesday night, I ordered from Honey Baked Ham. And I got a ham for Wednesday and a turkey for Thursday. The ham was okay, a little overprocessed, but I made a big mistake. I got pre-sliced turkey. <laughs> this was basically like a giant deli turkey that was like injected with some sort of saline solution, maybe. It was so unbelievably salty. At one point, my wife asked if I liked the gravy she bought from Whole Foods, and I said, I don't know, because no amount of it won't overpower the turkey. Honey-baked ham, I have to say, this is not a great business. So it's difficult, I understand, to have no customers 48 weeks a year and then scale up to like being a giant business. But it was absolute chaos picking up my order. I'm not sure I would do it again. But with that, let's get to the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the stock market and whether the market is overvalued. That's a really tough one to guess. Simon, it's the elephant in the room. The market keeps going higher despite the pandemic. Can it continue? Uh, Yes, it can, Dan. Uh, I think that this is a topic that's very relevant right now because we're hearing people throw out that overvalued word quite a bit. Uh, We've also heard the B word, bubble, quite a bit for the stock market. You know, as as tech valuations continue to grow, S&P keeps getting more and more expensive on historic valuation metrics. Uh, S&P is selling around 23 times trailing earnings right now. That's much higher than the 15 or so times of the past decade. And people are starting to say, well, you know, is, is the market getting a little too hot? Should I hold off? Should I not invest right now? And I, I personally think that the S&P as a whole probably does revert back to the mean a little bit. Um, Michael Mobison's done some great work on this and kind of where the market is versus where it's going. But also I think that we're in a very different market than we've been uh, for a decade ago. You know, a lot of VE in those PE ratios is changing. As companies adopt cloud computing, as they become more and more digital, um, it's more dependable long-term cash flows that are recurring in nature. And I think that that changes the very dynamic of the market itself. And then my final thought on this, Dan, if you'll allow me just one more moment on this one is- Sure, go ahead. You know, I think that that so much of this is, the S&P as a whole is the 500 largest market caps in the United States. And to some extent, you know, there are some companies at the top of that, the Apples and the Amazons of the world that are going to continue to succeed and just do phenomenal and hold their place uh, at the top of the totem pole. But I also think that a lot of those companies that are kind of in the middle of the S&P 500 have legacy revenue streams and kind of are at risk of being disrupted by smaller, more innovative companies. And so I personally think that even if the S&P 500 were to uh have a lower valuation multiple as a whole, so to speak. This, this is a stock picker's market coming up in the coming years where those smaller innovative companies are the ones that you actually want to be getting in, into. 
I think we're living in kind of a new reality where you have certain stocks where, and let's call this the Amazon effect. As long as there's perceived upside, almost any valuation is okay. As long as you can tell a story where they'll eventually be kind of worth it, then people seem willing to pay the price. Steve, do you worry about valuations? Um, yes and no. <laughs> that's it, it's it's a that's a loaded question. Uh, I guess at least I don't worry about valuations as much as I used to. Uh, I've gotten better in recent years at uh, realizing, for example, that many stocks stocks can grow into their seemingly lofty valuations. Um, but the bottom line is that valuations do matter. And in fact, that's one of our seven investing principles at seven investing. Uh, but part of that investing pr principle is that valuation matters. Um, is we recognize that certain high quality businesses deserve premium valuations. And it's our job to figure out which businesses fit that mold of deserving, deserving a premium valuation relative to peers in the broader market. So uh, yes, I worry about it, but uh, some companies are going to deserve a premium and some companies, as Simon noted, are getting disrupted and are going to see their valuation multiples fall. So, so we've got an absolutely packed show. We're going to talk a, a little bit about the uh, Salesforce potential purchase of Slack. We're going to talk about a, a, another purchase that are maybe two companies you've never heard of. Uh, but before we get there, let's let's close this one out uh, with a question to both of you. Do you think the pending end of the pandemic changes all the rules? Um, will there be just such an exhale that almost no price is too high? And will companies like you know that are pandemic dependent, which I think is a silly term, Will they get slammed? Simon, I'll, I'll let you go first here. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the nature or the foundation of that question is, you know, we've got very low interest rates, zero interest rates, essentially. And we've got a lot of stimulus money that's supporting mm -hmm. a lot of businesses. But I also tend to think, Dan, that we're in a digital transformation age right now. And a lot of those markets are winner take most. You know, you've got companies that, that grow in accelerated terms rather than linear terms. They outperform estimates for uh, years at a time, if not decades. And that that leads to really ecosystems that companies build around on top of as well. So I, to answer your question, no, I don't think that, that this is a different time now. It's been an unusual year to say the least, but innovation is going to continue to, to march forward. Find the companies that are benefiting from that. Unusual year does not even say it, kind of. <laughs> when the pandemic is over, of course, I do believe there'll be some changes. We can go to the live touring edition of Seven Investing Now, the interpretive dance version, all the things you can do in public that you can't, but it doesn't mean we're going to stop broadcasting. And of course, make your comments, get your comments in, in theory, whatever platform you're watching on, if you comment, we'll be able to see it. Steve and Simon will field those. I, uh, I can't quite read them. I'm sitting a little too far away from the screen. Long story. Let me give uh, Steve the last word. Steve, when the pandemic ends and I'll tell you, you know it, it'll, it'll be ending because I'll be in Vegas. Uh, but when the <laughs> pandemic ends, what do you think about valuations? Um, you know, I, I'm not convinced there's going to be an exhale bump up. But again, uh, I think I'll revert to what Simon said earlier. This is a it's it's going to become a stock picker's market even more so than it is now. And, uh, uh, you know, those investors who figure out which companies benefit most uh, with this bird's eye view of the market, figure out which companies are benefiting from tales created by the pandemic are the ones who are going to uh, enjoy the fruits of it. Um, so, you know, whether we get, you know, the broader market climbing or falling, uh, I think, I think stock pickers uh, will kind of prove their worth uh, in this, in the process. So. 
We are going to spin to what we're watching in a second. But uh, I'm down for down ass. What do you think about Bitcoin? It passed its all-time high this morning. I'll say, and I'll let you guys weigh in, I don't think at all about Bitcoin. I don't understand it. I understand that some people think it's a good investment, and I'm certainly not going to buy any because I lose stuff all the time. I would not want to own a currency that if I don't have a complicated string of numbers, I cannot access in any way. Simon, Steve, any thoughts here? Yeah, I can chime in on this one too, Dan. It's something that's very interesting. Simon, me, I feel actually, like you're the, because... yeah. That, Simon, oh. go ahead. We, Steve, oh, yeah, Steve okay. tried to interject. <laughs> a little bit of lag oh, there, go ahead. i sure my audio was working okay, great. Yeah, thanks for the question. I'm down for down. Uh, it's something, Bitcoin is something I think about a lot now because it's going more mainstream, right? Like Bitcoin at first was just kind of uh, some kids in their basement that were playing around with this and nobody understood it, but some people were amassing Bitcoins and mining it and it was just kind of this underground um, peculiar interest. And now you start seeing there's Bitcoin crypto exchanges that are applying to be bank charters, right? So they're more embedded into the workflow of, of kind of money and how it transfers hands across the country. Um, maybe you could start seeing Bitcoin being a part of ETFs or funds. You know, this is, these are things that are actually happening out there right now as regulators are better understanding what this means and it becomes more and more mainstream. You're starting to see also some companies really benefiting from this. Square has benefited from um, hoarding, holding corporate treasuries in Bitcoin instead of just cash. Um, MicroStrategy has done the same thing. So we're starting to see the impacts from this. I think that the utility of Bitcoin is growing. It's getting harder to mine them. And the combination of all that is uh, pushing the price per Bitcoin uh, collectively higher. You were, of course, watching 7investing now, which is uh, brought to you by 7investing. Simon, you're the CEO of 7investing. One of the things I like about our team is I can be pretty sure if all seven of us are in the room and I throw out a question like that, that someone's going to answer it. Talk a little bit about the expertise you brought together on the 7investing team. Thank, thank you for the opportunity here, Dan. It's something that I was very purposeful about when we started 7investing was getting a diverse viewpoints on, on this team. And we all look at different things on this team. You know, Dan really knows the ins and outs of retail and entertainment. Steve knows artificial intelligence. We've got other advisors that know digital payments, uh, cloud computing, disruption that's going on in healthcare. I mean, all of this is meant to be an interesting conversation of what's going on in the market out there. And so we didn't want to have just a, a product that just recommended one small segment of companies in one part of the market. We want to look at all of it. And I think that that's my favorite part of 7investing is that we provide seven recommendations every month for $17 a month or $170 a year. But they kind of span uh, high risk to low risk, uh, really innovative healthcare companies to tech companies to the whole gamut. Um, we're looking at all corners of the market, and I think that that can appeal to investors of all different styles as well. And our new picks come out tomorrow, tomorrow being December 1st, if I have the calendar correct. If you want access to those picks, all our past picks, all the members-only events, all sorts of writing, all amazing things we're working on, not to mention the chart of our past performance, and we are killing it. You can subscribe at 7investing.com slash subscribe. Simon, Steve, let's move on to what we're watching. This is another prime example where our expertise doesn't always overlap because, Simon, you put this story on the list, and I have never heard of at least half the equation here. IHS market to be acquired by S&P Global for $44 billion, 10 times revenue for recurring revenue slash massive moat, very little competition business. Simon, why don't you give us the 20,000-foot uh, the view, and then we can dig in a little bit here. Yeah, 20,000-foot is IHS collects data. They go out there and get data points and give you what you are interested in across a whole bunch of markets. Uh, so, Dan, maybe I'll jump down to 10,000 feet or 5,000 <laughs> feet, a little bit more in the nitty gritty. That works. You know, 
<laughs> some examples of how this works, you know, in financial markets, uh, there's banks that are wanting to underwrite stock offerings, bond offerings. They're wanting to collect tons of data around the companies that they're doing that for. Um, energy companies who always want to look at seismic data to figure out where oil is, is available. Uh, they want to look at production of their wells over time. They provide that to them. And even transportation. I mean, car dealerships are using Carfax, which is run by IHS, to see the history of all the cars that are on their lots. So all of this is aggregated by IHS. Uh, S&P does the same thing for a lot of markets, too. And this acquisition is $44 billion. It's the largest acquisition of 2020. As you kind of see, it's more valuable to pull all that data together under one roof rather than have two companies trying to run it separately. And is this just a, a business based on relationships and recurring revenue where like, you kind of know what you're getting? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's interesting. About 85% of the business uh, for IHS is recurring in nature. It's subscriptions that they're selling that data uh, to them. It's a steady, eddy business. It's growing basically at flat year over year, but you've got a 45% uh, adjusted EBITDA margin. So it's very profitable business. This is very embedded in these companies that are their customers' workflow. They need it all the time. And so it really makes sense to, um, if you're only growing it 1%, 2% a year, you want to get out the cost efficiencies. You want to get those synergies of having more data under the same roof. And so you're seeing that the combined company is going to save about a billion dollars in cost and revenue synergies. Um, it's going to be more valuable for customers. It's going to be more valuable for S&P going forward. I think the acquisition makes a lot of sense. Why now? I mean, these two companies would have made sense a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, M&A in the United States, so the financial data point we just talked about, M&A is 28% lower than it was last year because of COVID. So that's a challenging market right now. Um, we've seen the resources division of IHS. That's kind of the energy side of the equation. Down 9% in revenue year over year. And that's about a fifth of total revenue. And then transportation is, is kind of challenging too because people aren't buying new cars during COVID right now. So you've got a business that kind of at this point is saying, hey, I think this is a great time to take advantage of, of going out and buying one of our larger rivals. Uh, you work out the synergies, you get kind of some, some top line growth from this as well. I think that it makes a lot of sense to have this under one roof, especially right now with all the impacts of COVID. You are watching Seven Investing Now. This is an interactive show. Uh, there are a lot of you watching. I don't see a lot of comments, so feel free to get your comments, get your questions in. We will share as many as we can. Steve, you're going to talk about uh, a pending deal that, that, that affects us. We use this product all day long. Salesforce, that's not the one we use. It appears they're about to buy Slack. Not all the details are out there, but given that, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, uh, it, uh, it it's going to be pretty incredible. And, and we saw a massive bump uh, last week in Slack shares. And uh, basically, um, the deal is expected to be announced uh, as of this morning. Uh, it's expected to be announced Tuesday after the market close, uh, according to sources talking to CNBC's David Faber. Uh, that would coincide with Salesforce's quarterly earnings release. This is expected, at least according to the sources, to be a roughly 50-50 cash and stock deal and will price Slack at a premium. So um, what remains to be seen, I guess, at this point is how much of that premium is reflected right now. Uh, as of this morning, Slack's market cap was just over $24 billion. That's after soaring, I think it was like 38% on, on the heels of, uh, of the news. And Salesforce 
for perspective, has made several large acquisitions in recent years. Uh, that includes a $6.5 billion deal soft in 2018, a $15.3 billion deal for uh, Tableau. That's a data visualization company. And uh, I think Wall Street Journal a few days ago, when this was first reported, said the deal would place a value on Slack of at least $17 billion. So uh, really curious to see how high this goes, considering its market cap right now is set at about $24 billion. So uh, this could become one of the largest in the software sector uh, ever. Uh, IBM bought Red Hat for $34 billion in 2019. Microsoft bought LinkedIn a few years ago for $27 billion. Uh, so this is going to push those limits, but it should be really interesting to watch it play out and see what the details are tomorrow after the market close. So I'm going to throw out a question to both of you. Then I'm going to take the question that just came in over Slack, uh, over Slack, over, <laughs> we're talking about Slack over the comment section here. Maybe the person's watching on Slack. I don't think we broadcast there. Um, <laughs> Who is this deal a threat to? We get asked all the time about, you know, mm -hmm. can Slack possibly compete with Microsoft? And the reality is Slack is a great product and we have Microsoft Office and we still choose to use Slack. We could use Teams if we wanted to. I'll start with Simon. Should anybody be worried about this deal? I'm not sure worried is the right word I would describe that as. I think that one thing that's interesting about Slack is its independence. It doesn't... Um, doesn't have the bias of a larger ecosystem like Microsoft does uh, with, with Teams. Microsoft obviously wants to have people using other Microsoft products and Slack has API integrations with everybody out there, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's uh, you know Atlassian, whatever it might be, everybody plays nice with that platform. And I think that Slack's goal here is to become the home base of, of the enterprise. They want to be where people are spending their time at work. And then all those notifications and other integrations are going to start popping up. And so I think that maybe it's a, a, a threat, perhaps, to Microsoft. But I think that more interesting than anything is Salesforce, who's been fantastic at doing this for a decade now in cloud computing, um, wants to get integrated with, with so many other players out there. wants to play nice with everybody else in the cloud. I'd argue that Slack's a social platform as well. I mean... Simon, our whole team was slacking both Friday and Saturday night. Now, that says something about the pandemic. That says something <laughs> about our social lives. Uh, but, you know, I know I communicate with a lot of my friends. I have a, a personal Slack that's just people I used to work with so we can still communicate. Steve, I'll give you the final word here. Is there anyone who should be worried about uh, about this matchup? I, I'm not. Uh, again, I'm not worried. Um, I, I'm not convinced worried is the, the word I would use. Um, you know, I think this is a bigger threat to Microsoft uh, than anyone uh, with Teams. But I think in this case, it's sort of a more than anything, a win-win for Salesforce, you know, which uh, be, which gets to, to move into Slack's market in a big way. And for Slack, which, you know, benefits from the deep pockets of Salesforce to be able to um, invest in further improving its platform and expanding its reach. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think I'd view it from who benefits uh, which is both Salesforce and Slack rather than who loses, which you know I, could be Microsoft Teams. But I actually think there's a big loser here. I, I think Zoom loses. I thought I think a Zoom Slack matchup would have been very synergistic, would have maintained that mm. independence, would have grown businesses for both. You know, there is a Zoom-like function on Slack. It doesn't work that well. So to be able to replace it with Zoom would have worked really well. Now there's no reason Salesforce may not partner up or maybe they step in and buy Zoom at some point, though the valuations would make that really, really difficult. Let's take the question from uh, Navajadun, and I may not be selling that correctly. Uh, and he wants to know who would be the ultimate beneficiary of the transaction. I think what he's asking is which stock should you own? And the reality is 
it doesn't matter. In general, they'll come out to a price and the stock will trade around that price, a little bit up, a little bit down, but it won't matter which side you're on. Steve, Simon, anything more to say on that one? I'm yeah, t- I mean, I, oh, I'll, try, I'll just jump in, but I'll say that I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to say, from what I've seen, it's, it's proposed to be a cash and stock deal. So if you are a Slack mm-hmm. shareholder today and this does go through, you would be holding Salesforce going forward. Um, so you still kind of get the upside of if Salesforce continues to perform well. The only other interesting thing to me is that Slack's been approached by both Amazon and Microsoft in the past. Um, so they've said no both times to acquisition offers. And now this is much more pressing it on the table from Salesforce. So kind of interesting to see who they really want to partner with going forward. Microsoft doesn't have a great history of acquisitions in terms of they'll pay you well. They've done really good with LinkedIn and kind of leaving it alone, but they haven't always done that. There's been some deals and I can see not wanting to be part of Amazon. Salesforce seems like a much more reasonable size team. We are heading into the home stretch and we're going to do something unconventional. I want to talk Black Friday shopping and that's kind of my area of expertise. So I'm going to hand off the hosting baton to Simon. Simon, why don't you take over for a little bit here? I love it. I get to be the host. You get to be the advisor this time, Dan. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, I mean, this has been a, such a crazy year. We said it's unusual t- to the max with COVID going on, but Black Friday is always such a big deal for retailers, right? What are you seeing from Black Friday sales this year? Is, is anything standing out to you over the data that you've seen thus far? Yeah, so it's actually not what I expected. Um, I knew people weren't going to go to stores. Shopping in stores was down by about 50%. That's not a surprise. They've been telling you, don't come to stores for the best deals. Uh, you know, and, and they spread out when those deals were being offered. So you didn't have the doorbusters. You didn't have that big drive to get to the store. I was in a Target on Black Friday. And frankly, there was more demand for paper towels than there was for those traditional big ticket items. And I was actually there looking for some basic household items like that. What surprised me is we're going to have record numbers of people purchasing on Black Friday online. And that surprised me only because there were really good deals the day before Black Friday, the week before Black Friday, all of the month. So I really expected that the numbers were going to get kind of spread out. And that's not really what happened. It actually does seem like this is going to be an absolute record holiday shopping season, even during a pandemic. And I think some of that is due to what people are buying. They're not traveling. They're not spending money on vacations. They need new laptops. They're indulging in new televisions. Those are big ticket items that push the spending up. And people, those of us who are working, feel like it's okay because they're not spending money other places. I know I bought a 65-inch television, and I bought it for less than $250. It's not a great one, but still a purchase I might not have been made if I'd been taking the two or three trips I would normally take between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Okay, Dan. So different products being sold right now, some bigger ticket items right there. This is still an investing live stream show that we have here. Who are going to be the winners from this, uh, this change this year during COVID, Black Friday? Yeah, the rich get richer. It's going to be Walmart. It's going to be Amazon. It's going to be Target, Best Buy. Wouldn't shock me if Dick's Sporting Goods had a good had a good run simply because not only do they have decent infrastructure, there's also camping stuff and people are taking different types of vacations. They've done a really good job pivoting their merchandise. We might see a surprise winner. I think Etsy has a chance to be a surprise winner. You're not going to see a great report from Macy's or JCPenney or any of these struggling retailers. We're generally trending towards the bigger stores. And actually, I think it's going to be kind of devastating for stores that benefited from, hey, maybe you went to the mall you know, to go to Best Buy, to wait in line, to get the doorbuster, but ah, oh, you're there anyway. You'll walk over to Kohl's a couple doors down. That is not going to happen this year. Um, so, you know, I, I would invest in the stalwarts. I, I wouldn't try to pick any sort of, you know, comeback play. I don't think this is going to be that season. 
Simon, thank you. I'm going to take the chair back. I'm going to throw out uh, one question well, to the well, two. Well, Dan, of you. I have one more question for oh, you. I want to sure. ask about Cyber Monday. I mean, is Cyber Monday going to be even bigger than Black Friday was a couple of days ago? Ah, uh, it is going to be bigger. I think. Um, I don't understand why it doesn't make any sense, but I do think we're in a buy now mode. The biggest challenge I think here is. I'm not entirely sure how you judge what a good deal is. Like, is my $250 TV going to be $199 a week from now? It might be. I'm trying not to view it. I know that Cyber Monday is probably the best day to buy, say, like Apple products or Amazon-owned products. Uh, But even the reporting on this, usually there's lots of good news stories. Hey, what should I buy when? Nobody knows the answer to that. And look, the best deals might be on December 23rd or December 24th. The problem is, do you want to risk a very good deal for the possibility you might get a slightly better deal? And Simon, I see there's one more question on here for you to ask me, so feel free to shoot. The the question is is from uh, ZK, ZK Hyung. Roku? Is a question about Roku. Is that related per- particularly to Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Or maybe that's even going back to the conversation we had about Slack and Salesforce. R- Roku is going to be a big winner this holiday season. Uh, a lot of the TVs that are selling routinely have Roku uh, embedded. Now, some of them have an Android system. Don't do that. Buy a Roku embedded TV or buy a TV <laughs> without one and get either a Roku or an Amazon Fire. They're both really good products. This is going to be a continued growth holiday season for them. Um, you know, that being said, I don't think there's going to be like a massive increase to their customer base simply because they own the market. They have such a big customer base and we've seen some of that pandemic driven market where, you know, they're getting the sales because people are cutting cable because they're stuck at home. So I do think it's going to be a good season for Roku. Okay. I'm going to take the hosting chair back. I'm going to ask Easterview one last question. Simon, I'll let you go first. Did you do any shopping on Friday or do you plan to do any today? No, we were without access to reliable internet on Friday, unfortunately. So now I'm back in the saddle again and can get uh, all the good deals. I do plan on doing some some shopping for Cyber Monday probably today. That uh, Steve, did you buy me my Christmas present or is that still pending? <laughs> no, I literally had a 10,000-foot view on Friday. I actually did a little work video you guys will all see um, from that view. So, um, But zero internet up there so uh <laughs> no no shopping but i'll probably do some shopping today too well, we're at opposite we were at opposite elevations i'm about six feet above sea level here you were high in the mountains <laughs> i bought a bunch of stuff we've talked a little bit about uh, i'm moving in a couple of weeks and i'm going to have a dedicated office studio so you're not going to see the glare in my glasses you're not going to see the bad lighting we're going to get this sorted out by the end of the month so i bought like a whole bunch of little stuff like plugs with usb ports and other stuff like that that you just like might need when you move i bought a lot of lightning cables it's a really good time to buy that type of accessory stuff from amazon but we are running out of time we appreciate your questions we appreciate your comments get a few more in we'll be happy to share them but now it's time to hit the finisher sam bailey our marketing director if you would like to share the poll we asked on twitter in this pandemic dominated world which company are you most thankful for about 41% of you, 41.2 said Zoom. Uh, 43.6 said Netflix. There is a lot of downtime to watch Netflix. 4.3% said Slack. I would have picked Slack. 10.9% said Disney. I don't want to say I resent Zoom, but we spend so much of our work time on calls that it's not always my favorite place to be. Like I had a family Zoom over Thanksgiving and I had to be dragged a little kicking and screaming. And it's not that I didn't want to see people. It's that I don't want to have to set up lights and do all the things I have to do to be on Zoom. Simon, your thoughts. Which uh, which winner would you have picked here? 
I vote for Disney on this one, Dan. I mean, I have to vote for Disney because it's been our savior here with Disney+. Plus. We've been happy subscribers for a long time for that now. It's really been helpful during the last couple of months. That's the one that I vote for. I spent Saturday at Animal Kingdom. It is a really weird time to visit a Disney park. Uh, they're doing a great job with all the social distancing, but there's very little inside because they're limiting capacities in restaurants and gift shops. So as someone who just had laser eye surgery, I have to put eye drops in every like half hour, 45 minutes or so. Not an easy thing to do when there's no inside and no clouds. You're basically looking up at the sun with your eyeball open. It was a difficult day, but I did get to ride Dinosaur. I did get to go on the safari. My son got to do Everest. Steve, I'll give you the last word here. Which company would you go with? Disney, hands down. Uh, I love Disney Plus, and it's so much fun because we're uh, our family's been watching uh, the past couple of months through the entire uh, in cinematic order, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we just started Phase Three and watched Captain America: Civil War last night on Disney Plus, and uh, I couldn't be more stoked about that. So, so that's, I'm not. That's me. I'm not going to give any spoilers. I will say I am up to date on The Mandalorian, and they mm. give you Baby Yoda's name. And I don't know what I was expecting. I loved the show. That part was a little disappointing. But I'm going to give everybody <laughs> homework. If you have kids at about that, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 age, start them on watching The Simpsons. The first half of season one's a little rough, but then you're going to get a <laughs> pop culture lesson uh, that is going to be better than a year of school. I, 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 I'm exaggerating. I'm being a little silly, but I actually think that's somewhat true. Steve, Simon, this finishes up today's episode of 7 Investing Now. If you have questions for us, send us an email to info at seveninvesting.com. That is usually Steve answering it, but he'll pass it out to any of us. We will get back to you quickly. Or you can follow us on Twitter at 7investing. We are responsive. We like to talk to our audience, our fans. We respond to requests for things to do on the show. But that's it. We are out of time. For Steve Symington, for Simon Erickson, I'm Dan Klein. Thank you for watching. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.